Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. What's up, Joe? We have a lot to talk about today. And we do, and we've got a pretty amazing guest, as we like to tell Very stories. Very about this one. Very, a lot of really interesting stories. But we're going to start off with something that we don't normally do, and that's talk about the topics of today, because this is kind of a timeless podcast. A big but week in the sports business. We're doing yeah. this on a, two, on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, October 11th. I think today's October 11th. Yes. And in the past, really, 48 hours, there have been two uh, really big sports business stories that will impact whenever you listen to this in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. So, Well, uh, sports business stories that have kind of transcended business yep, for sure. into, to our culture yep. uh, and, and to uh, the national news, I would say. And they both tie into our guest, Marcus yes. Kuhn. Yeah. Um, um, the first one is obviously the U.S. men's national team not making the World Cup and the collateral damage that that can do, not just for Fox, who will be broadcasting for the first time and spent a lot of money for the rights for the World Cup, uh, but on all the other aspects of marketing, sales, stadium, youth development, youth development right. that that impacts. Yeah, no, it's a huge issue, and um, we could probably do a whole podcast on that, but we'll uh, at least touch on it today uh, before we move into the second one. Which, which is the NFL. Which is the NFL. The No Fun League, so, <laughs> which is not really true. And yeah. I actually think... Well, no, some of, these, some of these touchdown celebrations have been very entertaining. Yeah. The Duck Duck Goose one yeah. from the other day and yeah. the, the baseball, I thought yeah. that was pretty creative. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think in some ways the NFL has made some strides in making their players more available, more accessible, telling their stories a little bit better. And then the, the morass of what's going on right now on the business side with who's dictating what, especially around the national anthem and what people are trying to say and what they're trying to do. Yeah, so, and the conflation of multiple issues into something that is actually quite complicated uh, and is getting misinterpreted all over the place right now. So I'm um, really happy to have uh, Marcus here today to help us sort through that because it's a, it's a big and uh, thorny issue mm-hmm. I will address. So as we kind of wander around the Columbia campus, we, we seem to end up with pretty unique stories in our sports management program. We've had NFL players, Andrew Hawkins, who has been very vocal this past week, um, Olympians, WNBA players, team owners, mm-hmm. all different kinds fencers. of people. Fencers. Fencers, correct. Um, <laughs> Esports people. Um, and, and, but one of the more unique stories is someone who's now in our program, uh, who played with the New York Giants in the NFL, uh, he's from Germany, played at, Univer- at North Carolina State, and is now doing commentary and a bunch of other things. So welcome to the podcast, Marcus Kuhn. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited for this. Great to have you, Marcus. Thanks for coming. So before we get into kind of the topics of the day, tell us a little bit about how uh, a young man from Germany ends up playing in the NFL. Yeah, it's a pretty crazy story, actually, because I had a complete different route to the league than almost anybody I know, and especially most of the Americans. Uh, it's pretty much started with my family when I was 14 years old. We did a just a family vacation to Florida. It was my first time I've ever visited America. And I got exposed to American football and I was like, you know what? I'm kind of a big kid. This is something I should probably try out. Um, and then, Were you an athlete at that point in your life? I mean, I've always been athletic, but I was. I did. I tried everything. I Usually my weekends in the winter were snowboarding and in the summer was more rock climbing. Uh, I played golf with my family, I played tennis growing up. I mean, I tried pretty much everything, but nothing, no team sport that I really stuck to. And then I was exposed to football, and when I came home to Germany, I looked for a club team close to my house. And uh, my sister knew two guys who were playing there, they took me to practice, 
And I literally the next day I was my first practice and I fell in love with the sport. We practiced twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours, had a game on Saturday, as anybody can imagine. It wasn't professional at all, it wasn't organized, but it was just a bunch of guys in Germany having fun and playing football. Right. Uh, my positions also were quarterback and linebacker, so completely different what I used to play. Nobody really sees me as a quarterback, and that wouldn't have been a position I played in America anyways. Um, but like I said, I continued to play, and then the NFL Europe, um, that some people probably heard about, they got, um, yeah, they heard about me and uh, they wanted me to join their team and they had a so-called national uh, player development program which would try to take me in. I thought if I'm good enough for that my goal was not to be a professional football player obviously because that's completely unrealistic as a kid from Germany but maybe to go to university, graduate and all those kind of things. So my love with football and going to school was the perfect way to combine that by coming to America. But how does a school in America give a football scholarship or even know about some kid in Germany? So fortunately, my dad said, all right, Marcus, make a highlight DVD. I'm taking you 2006. Wow. We're flying to America. One school, Liberty University in Virginia, they heard about me before. Smaller school. And we flew to Washington, D.C., rent a car, drove to Liberty. They were like, wow, so glad to see you in person. They looked at my highlight DVD. They were like, we immediately offer you a scholarship. And I was wow. like, wow. If that works, let's who, go. Who was the coach at Liberty at that point? Uh, Rocco. Denny Rocco okay. just took over Liberty. And this is the school owned by, founded by Jerry Falwell, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but the school was... Were you aware of its yeah. position? That's, okay, yeah. uh, the, when I saw the school and I heard about what I have to do, uh, like just to describe my relationship with God and all those kind of stuff, and I was like, right. maybe that's not really the place I fit in so well. Um, and... But either way, it would have been an opportunity to come to America. My plan wasn't also, let's move to America and spend the rest of my life there. I was always a homesick kid. So just a step to even leaving the country when I was 21 years old was yeah, almost hard to imagine. Um, but we showed up at a bunch of other schools, Richmond, William & Mary, and all these one double A schools back mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. um, they immediately offered me a scholarship. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. So why don't we try bigger schools? And then we went to UNC, Duke, I didn't even know that they were all playing in the same conference, but it was just a cluster of universities <laughs> right. in that area. You so had a we, rental car, you could drive to we, all of them. Exactly. And we showed up and they looked at me like, hold up, you just flew here. I literally walked in the football facility with a highlight DVD. And they're like, you just flew here from Germany and having us a DVD. And they were very American. They were super friendly right away and said, sure, we let you talk to your coach. You did all that. And then people were actually really impressed about like my size and also what I, show, what I showed on tape. And my dad's name is Wolfgang. And he immediately said, well, Wolfpack, that would be kind of cool if my son would play for the Wolfpack. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Wow. So I was sitting in the office of a coach and uh, I first asked him a bunch of questions like, who else is playing in your stadium? Because I didn't know how big college football was at that point. And I was like, why would these college kids have a stadium of 60,000 people they use for six, seven times a year and nobody else really uses it? That didn't make sense to me. But um, Welcome to America. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but... It all worked out. I got a scholarship. Uh, I played as a true freshman, was a freshman honorable mention All-American, uh, all freshman All-ACC player, played for four years, graduated from NC State with a degree in business and a concentration in entrepreneurship, um, had a good background um, and then didn't really think about going anything further football-wise, but my senior year was pretty good. So I was the first German to ever get invited to the scouting combine in Indianapolis. Wow. Had a good showing there, and then I was only the second German to ever be drafted. 
Um, and who, was the, who was the first? Sebastian Former okay. is now my business partner. We can talk about him a That's little bit later. Sure. He had a and great. Marcus, what position were you playing at that point? Um, when I first went to NC State, this guy looked. The coach looked at me and said, "Marcus," and I was about two sixty back then. By the time you leave here, or two fifty. By the time you leave here, you're going to be a 300 pounder. And I was like, oh, no way. I don't want to be fat. <laughs> but um, he was right. I, I was at the combine. I was with 300 pounds. So wow. it, he was exactly right. And playing and I was what position? Defense tackle. Yeah. Okay. So the Giants drafted me in the, tw- in the seventh round uh, right after I won the Super Bowl as a defensive tackle. Um, and then I played there all my rookie contract. Ended up being the first and so far still only German to ever score a touchdown in the NFL. Wow. Um, and Amazing. yeah, then I signed after this with the Patriots and then it didn't work out. And I realized, you know what? Football was a fun ride. Let's not damage the brain anymore. Let's use the, <laughs> let's use the right. brain. And then I applied to Columbia and now I'm a, yeah, Columbia That's, student. What a story. Wait, but you got to go back to the touchdown. How'd you get a touchdown? Uh, I, um, yeah, I was on the defense line. JPP had a sack force fumble. I was pretty lucky because the ball literally rolled like almost right in front of my feet right. and nobody was around me. But I, I was quick enough and aware to do the scoop and score and 26 yards later and almost wow. a fumble and stumble. Uh, I made it in and in a very exciting, yeah, exciting run. And I, well, that's yeah, a great memory. I scored. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. That's yeah. like my claim to fame, 100%. <laughs> yeah. okay. So we will find that video, Maurice, and put it on part as part of the yes, podcast. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I want to see that. So it's funny. That, so I guess if... if Marcus's father was Leon. He may have ended up at Columbia because <laughs> Leon and the Lions. But right. um, so um, an amazing run. One thing is, if there was something that that stood out from your NFL career, the one highlight that that you could say, what am I? What am I doing here? What What would that have been? Uh, I mean, honestly, one of the most shocking thing was I never even was much involved with the NFL because I didn't really care for it. I was in college and that was my life. What was all about. I didn't grow up. My first college football game I've ever seen in person was the one I played in. And my first wow. NFL game I've ever seen in person was the one I played in as well. So I was kind of pushed right into it and just coming into a room. Uh, or to a team who just won the Super Bowl, the New York Giants. I mean, even known in Germany really well. A quarterback, Eli Manning. The defense line was Justin Tuck, Jason Pierre-Paul, Osi Uh Defense tackle, Linville Joseph, who's a great player too. Rocky Bernard. I mean, I, I was in a room with guys right away that I, I knew from TV and who were famous all over America and even some of them in Germany. And that was a, a huge shock. And playing for Tom Coughlin. I would imagine. Playing for Tom Coughlin, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go to one of the franchises in the NFL that, that it's not only... I mean, I think people in Germany wouldn't... It was bigger even for people in Germany because if I would have said, oh, I got drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars or Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they probably still thought it was cool, the NFL team, but it doesn't have that impact mm-hmm. if you tell somebody I played for the New York Giants. So, Marcus... Um Tom Coughlin was known throughout the league and, and among the fans as a strict disciplinarian, but a really successful coach, obviously. What were some of the lessons you learned from him? Um, honestly, with, with Coach Coughlin, I was used to Tom O'Brien, an old military guy mm-hmm. as NC State coach. And then from just from the way they run a team and kind of the demeanor of a coach, I was kind of used to this. But what I liked as Coach Coughlin that he took every meeting so seriously and he always for and him, to get there early right having a plan i mean i was <laughs> <laughs> maurice looked at me and said, oh you're early i was like usually when you're on time you're late i mean that was that was installed that's into a great me. point 
And uh, I mean, it's good. It doesn't hurt to be five, ten minutes early. Right. And um, I mean, Coach Coffin was prepared for every single meeting. Every single meeting, he tried to make sure he has a message for his players. It was never just stand up there, get ready for practice. Everything he did, he really approached with a with a seriousness that I think was was great. That's good. Yeah. So so let's um, although we could talk about the NFL and, and Germany for a long time, let's talk about you and your entrepreneurship background, your business partnership, your broadcasting, which people would be pretty amazed to hear about. Uh, so why don't you just touch on, you know, Marcus now post NFL as the entrepreneur and what you're trying to do now. Yeah, and actually as part of that, Joe, I think it'd be interesting to hear what you learned as an entrepreneurship uh, minor, I guess it was, yeah. at NC State, because that's a part of academia that's been growing over the last 10 years. So you were probably pretty early yeah, I that. think I was one of the few, uh, the first years that it was actually the program was offered at NC State. And um, I mean, I just met with my professor. He was in New York and I just saw him last week and we had a beer together, two or three actually. Um, what, 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 but, what was his name, Marcus? Um, Louis Sheets. He's the okay. program director. Actually also wrote my recommendation for Columbia. So okay. thanks for that. That seemed to have worked out well. Um, but no, I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur. My sister is actually an entrepreneur. She's a fashion designer and just got picked up by Bergdorf and Goodman. Um, so uh, good, of course, good family. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very proud, to be honest. And um, no, I mean, that was kind of our personality. That's what my, my parents installed that in us is that the entrepreneurial mindset. And even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur or start your own business, I think you bring qualities to have that that entrepreneurial thinking, if you even work for another company, to always explore new things and grow the business. And I think that's what kind of, that will help anybody in taking on any job. So, I mean, that was- Great advice. That was that was, was what's interesting for me. And now, um, playing football, I was always very focused on the sport itself. And I was always thinking, you know, I should probably use social media a lot more and get engaged. But it wasn't it wasn't for me at that point you can always say i would have benefited more now post football but i didn't have that too much focus on that but i was asked by a german free tv station to broadcast a super bowl and then it was super bowl 50 they asked me every year i played and i said okay super bowl 50 san francisco my dad has been begging me to go every year so that kind of brought you better bring me to the super bowl I said okay super bowl 50 that's a good way to start um, and then I yeah, did the broadcasting for the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 50, Super Bowl 51. And now actually the Patriots, um, after they're winning so many Super Bowls, there's a lot of the German fans. When a new market creates fans, they usually become a fan of the team that's been successful the last mm -hmm. few years. So obviously the Patriots with their tremendous success the last few years have a huge followership in a new market like Germany. So the Patriots saw, why don't we broadcast all preseason games and a stream live to Germany? And they didn't have to look very far because two of their former players were Germans. It was me and Sebastian Fulmer, who had a great career there, played for nine years, won two Super Bowls with them. The one and only German with a Super Bowl ring, and he is two already. Um, well, he and can lend you one. And that's nice what I always said. I say, I say, the second one, I say you can you can share one with me, but uh, I don't think I don't think you'll do that. <laughs> Maybe when you go out for for a week. But uh, yeah, so I was I was hanging out. Uh, I was talking to him, and we were like, "Yo, you want to do this?" And it was pretty easy uh, to say yes to that. So we were in Foxborough in their TV studio in the craft studio. Um, and we had a live stream to Germany actually broadcasting the games for the German market in German and not over the German television, but actually from an American NFL team, which I thought 
is a pretty big thing to show the interest that actually they're putting in to like explore new markets as well. And, and you mentioned the numbers. It was in the middle of the night in Germany for a preseason NFL game. How many people? I mean, it's like around we had viewers who were constantly tuning in was always over 10,000 people. And I mean, that's that was from one o'clock in the night in Germany to six o'clock in the morning on like sometimes a Thursday for a preseason game. I mean, they were obviously drawing into because Sebastian and I, especially we have a decent followership and they probably want to hear more of our background stories and us talking and maybe some of the game. But just the exposure it created and it sees where the game is scoring and they're trying to push the game overseas more. And you were doing real-time play-by-play. Real-time play-by-play. Plus commentary. Live in commentary, German. watching yeah. it. I mean, I was used to it by the Super Bowl, right. um, but that was usually there's a German commentator who does it during the regular season, but that was the first time it was me and him sitting in, never done this before, like, all right, uh, the game starts at, <laughs> what is it, 7.36, that's really six, six minutes or five and a half minutes after the hour. Um, and yeah, you start commentating and you kind of wing it a little bit, yeah. but it was a great experience and, and a lot of fun. And then Amazing. where do you want to take it from here? Um, is it the broadcasting side, the entrepreneurship side? Are there other things you're doing with, with Sebastian in the business world? Yeah, so Sebastian and I, we, we realized it's very, it helps first of all us if you put each other together because they will never able to play against each other. Because is said, okay, we want the same rates, you're not getting one cheaper, like we're one and we decide whoever has time who you actually send over because you're getting the same quality kind of person whoever does your broadcasting um but then sebastian and i we realized there's honestly we're a little spoiled when it comes financially there's not much money in being a broadcaster especially for a small market like germany and just sitting there for 20 weeks out of the year on one day out of the week and have a broadcast that's not really lucrative to make that as your as your main job so Last year, me and Sebastian produced a highlight football show, which uh, we had a studio in New York and we did a pilot to pitch to two networks, a streaming a f- a sports streaming service in Germany. It's called The Zone, D-A-Z-N. Yeah. Um, and to also the free TV that I'm working with right now as well. And we had an hour long show that we kind of talked football. We picked a game. We picked certain highlights. We commented those highlights. We put that together and... It looks like we're going to have one show this year that they're going to have for German free TV. And then next year, we maybe do it once a month. And then maybe the following year is once a week that we produce actually a sports show in America, which makes way more sense because all the players are here as well. So you don't have to fly to Germany. You can actually have an American football player on your show and talk about football, not some Germans who know football from watching it. So you actually have the real thing. And that seems... To be pretty interesting, it's getting bigger and bigger in Germany, so that's that's kind of the next step. So is it like the football version of Men in Blazers? I mean, is that kind of what you want to do? Yeah, a little bit. Or there was even I watched a lot of YouTube videos like from the '90s. There was like the NFL highlight show, and kind of sure. And I kind of said, "Where football is in Germany right now is similar to where America was maybe in the '90s." So that would be kind of the same thing. People are interested back then, um, and yeah, that's that's what it's kind of. So so this is really interesting because you're you're out of the you guys are out of the league. You obviously have a lot of knowledge and a lot of relationships for people in the league, and you're doing great stuff in in kind of what hybrid media, you know, in both some traditional stuff, digital stuff. Um, but one of the big trends that we've talked about a lot on this show, that's a big thing in the business, is the idea of athletes as media uh, entrepreneurs, right? So we've got the Players Tribune, 
There are cheaters behind, which we've talked about in the show. We have uh, uninterrupted, which is associated, I think, with Bleacher Report now. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think of that as a former athlete and someone who's still close enough to the to yeah. the scene to um, to have some opinion on? on something I, that's so interesting yeah i think it's completely great russell wilson just came out uh with his own platform as well i think what you see more and more that first of all football players are a lot more than football players just because we were we were gifted with great athletic ability but maybe we were also gifted with great athletic ability on top of yeah an entrepreneurial spirit or some other a great mind and we there's certain things we can do and I mean, I can tell for me, it kind of happened to me that once you're good in sports, you kind of just keep going and keep going and nobody tells you to stop. And then you once, you know, you realize that maybe there's other interests down your life that you kind of give up and you see a lot of players having other interests. But also when you come from media perspective, I always say it's very hard for somebody to learn sport who has never done the sport. How can you be an expert in something you've actually never done? There's only to a certain extent where you can study and study, but you'll never, you've never lived that life. So you can tell from an athlete's perspective, if you learn more the media side or learn more of the, you know, I mean, it's, it's so broad. If you learn more about all the other aspects, what it goes into sports, you have a way more, a way bigger advantage into some other people who maybe are just media or just journalists because yeah, I think we're better at doing at doing both actually. So, so when the athletes are still under the employ of the leagues and the teams. Here comes the transition, I think. Yeah, well, so, how, how far how far can they go? Because this is being tested right now in, in the U.S. with some of the controversial issues, particularly as it relates to the national anthem and some of the protests. Um, I mean, I think also you have to realize that you are employed by the league and nothing is more important than the NFL and what is always called the shield. And... The NFL is a, a huge company. They're trying to cater to all audiences and they're trying to keep that business model alive. And that's why there are so many rules in place. I mean, we're talking about National Anthem, but we're also told how high we can pull our socks. I mean, and tuck your shirt in. I mean, it's so minor. We used to the call details. them the uniform police. Exactly. The On uniform the police. Yeah. And we have them and we walk out and they <laughs> tell your coach, like, tell him to pull his socks a little higher. And now you have these other huge new controversial with uh, the protest for injustice um, that players are using the national anthem as their platform and now other other coaches and owners come out and trying to you know trying to end that right so what do you think um, how do you think this is viewed in Germany or in Europe at large I think you know there's because it sounds like there's a growing interest in the game as you just described well, the, at least in the Germany. Football overall, actually, like what happens with the national anthem. Well, both because yeah. it's now been kind of conflated. So there's the actual just entertainment of the sport. I agree. And then there's implications and um, uh, issues around yeah. the sport that are, have become bigger news that have transcended just the sports page. I mean, Germany is. I mean, still, I don't understand why there is no NFL game in Germany. I know language-wise, it's a lot easier to do it in London. Uh, Mexico is, I think, a little more generous to help the NFL financially, to give them an incentive to play in uh, Mexico City. Um, but Germany, from an actually market, it makes sense to play there because the following in Germany is huge. As we tapped on earlier, guys 
uh, watching in the middle of the night in Germany. We have over 2 million people watch the Super Bowl in Germany in the middle of the night as well. So there's a big following. Hundreds of thousands of people watch the NFL every weekend in Germany. And they obviously follow everything that happens to the national anthem. And if you look even at the people in Germany, they seem to have a lot more empathy for the Americans, especially the African-Americans, kneeling to the national anthem than actually what happens in America. So a lot of those people are very fiend when it comes to America. So they have usually traveled to America. And I think if you've been to America, as of myself, I've lived here for 10 years, and you look at what's going on in this country, it doesn't take long and it's not that hard to realize that unfortunately if you're a black american compared to a white american you just don't have it equally as good or as good as yeah Mm -hmm. a white american Mm -hmm. and i think that's why some of the germans are are supportive about that marcus talk a little bit about being in the locker room as someone who is really kind of an entrepreneur um and being around a coach who is a a lot about in tom coughlin um and how that kind of plays out were you did it ever bother you and and now that you're in the business world and you have a voice you absolutely have a voice given the the large following you have on social media um do you join that conversation now is it easier to join the conversation now than when you were in the locker room and 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 how did that play out yeah 100 percent. i mean i immediately made the point that i feel like i'm i'm free a little bit now as well since i am not at liberty anymore by my employer because they can fire me whenever they want to. Sure, they can tell tell me you didn't play well on Sunday, but I don't know the exact reasons. Maybe I didn't fill in the team chemistry or what they think. I mean, there's so many factors that play into that. So you're 100% a little bit more careful because nobody wants to lose their job. Um, another reason why I'm living the life the way I am right now is also because I don't want to have the feeling anymore that I'm at so much on somebody else's opinion and I have to be so careful about how I express myself just because I'm worried I might I might lose a job or not. And 100% it helps being a little bit removed from the situation and having a voice and a platform to express if you see if you see something unjust and you there's social media, you have a following there, you see other players using their platform really really well. I think Chris Long is a good example. I mm-hmm. think he's doing a great job mm-hmm. with that. The Motellas that yeah, the Bennett brothers doing a great job with that. So there's a bunch of players who are using it more and more, but these are also players who can afford to use it a little more. I mean, these are the superstars in the NFL and it would be too big to them, you know, to just fire them and kind of move on. But especially the guys at the bottom end of the roster, you pretty much have to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did you ever have any sponsors? Uh, I mean, I was under Nike. That was, yeah. you know, my sponsor for my apparel or for my colleagues. Uh, a few little things in Germany, but... Nothing that I ever had to be threatened to to leave me once I say something yeah. that they won't, won't, don't want to I mean, understand. I just thought of something when you were describing that, so, so you kind of feel freer because you're out of the league. But then again, with a uh, what seems to be a budding media career, yep. you could find yourself working for a company like ESPN or, or Fox or something like that. And then you kind of have another version of that challenge, don't you? I mean, we've seen that's another big story this week of what's happened with ESPN and, and uh, uh, the story about some of the... Uh, Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I also think it's... Sure, as you use you use your platform on social media and to one part, it's, of course, it's linked to you and your opinions. But on the other hand, social media, you're also doing on your free time a little bit. So maybe some of the opinions you personally express... Um, 
are you know should give you a little bit more leeway than what you maybe say while you work on air for another for let's just say espn Mm -hmm. or fox Mm -hmm. i mean jameel hill what what she did and i mean obviously she's she has a great point and everything she's right but you don't want people viewers are dropping from espn and other networks they don't they're more scared about their money than about some other personal interest that maybe some other person might have yeah I mean, so so what do you think about that vis-a-vis the, the many issues affecting the NFL right now uh, beyond just the social discussion? Uh, so the issue with brain trauma, um, the issue with youth participation, et cetera. There's, there's a litany of issues that the league is facing right now. Um, what, what is your opinion about that as a former player and now as a, a broadcaster of the sport? I mean, you really see the the league. The league is changing a lot, but I also have to say the NFL is, I mean, it's still the number one sport in America. Uh, you see some viewerships maybe drop, but also people are watching the games way differently than they ever have. Maybe TVs is down a little bit, but how many people are watching the games on their cell phones, and how many people are watching in bars together? So. That's, I think, is also a reason why maybe the numbers of viewers seem to drop, but I think the engagement is still almost as high as ever. Uh, the only other thing is I'm saying it has such a, it became such a political spectacle right now, especially because of Donald Trump. I mean, the the way it was him tweeting and everything. And it's so silly to me that a guy like him tweets about the NFL because everything he does, he doesn't really help anything. He only wants to, like, help his personal agenda we all know he has a beef with the nfl it goes back to the 80s he's probably still mad that he didn't buy the dallas cowboys for 50 million dollars because he'd maybe be a billionaire but uh would even more of a billionaire by now but um yeah it's i think him tweeting at things and now talking about you know creating more of a stir that's exactly what he wants to do but i think the nfl family is still you see what happened after the nfl family it was okay, we kind of see some things going on and that shouldn't go, but one big person like Donald Trump attacked the NFL. That was the weekend right after that, after his first big attack, where you see the NFL came together like never before. And it was like, okay, we are, at the end of the day, we're still one and we're still sticking together. Yeah. But as you mentioned before, there are a lot of other issues they face. I mean, the brain the brain trouble, it was at one point you have to care like, oh, really? Like you give each other brain trauma when you have, guys weighing 300 pounds running against each other as fast as they can of course stuff like that will happen so i think equipment maybe has to change i think they're trying to change the rules um but also how far can you do that by without completely kind of changing the sports you're playing and did you you see the the coaches and the medical staffs taking the hard hits more seriously after 100% as you finish your career 100% I mean I because it, it seems like 10 years ago 15 years ago it was just always you got your bell rung you know you, you got you got hit hard get back out on the field there was that attitude that but we I also didn't know pervasive. we didn't know better right really I mean it's also you can always tell the NFL try to hide things there's so many like thoughts and even conspiracy theories about all that but I think medically we didn't know much more we still don't know enough there's this huge CTE study came out when about 100 over 100 former players gave their brains away but pretty much all of them but one had cte but if your family gives your brain away they probably think there's something already wrong mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. i mean right now i think my family wouldn't say look at marcus's brain if something like god forbid yeah. would right. happen to me so i think that that is a little skewed when it comes to that 
what the big study and a problem the NFL will face, the new study came out by Boston University yeah. that you actually test on live brains, the right. impacts. And you maybe see an impact after somebody immediately had a concussion, like how long it takes to maybe some of those the dark spots, they call it, to go away or maybe they grow over time. I mean, there's so much studying that has to be done. And I think we, unfortunately, we don't know enough but we definitely know it can't be good to do that to your body. But if from a logical human perspective, we kind of knew that all along. Yeah, and it's interesting because you didn't start playing until you were around 15 or so. Which I think is a huge point. Right, which is one of the things yep. that came out. I don't Whereas think... in America, I mean, and, and even when I was young, football started at age seven. And, and those guys, years. I mean, you see, especially in big states like Florida or Texas, when football is like life, they're little kids who are hitting each other really, really hard. And they have some parents and you know older coaches cheering them on and engaging in this i mean my hardest i mean i think hardest and most stupid almost hits from a health perspective were all in germany with terrible coaching yeah. i mean line up who's the tougher guy 15 yards from each other and kind of like two rams running each other head first and it was like the tough guy at the end, you know, mm -hmm. is the one who hurts less. That was always yeah. kind of the aspect. Or and complained less. Exactly, or yeah. complained less. And I think that's when coaches have to have responsibility and parents that also at the end of the day, it's a sport. It's not that serious. It's really not. It's serious if you make your money from it, your livelihood. It's maybe serious if you get a full scholarship from it. If you actually take advantage of that and go to school and use a right major and you don't fall into traps of other universities who give you paper writing classes and you actually walk away with brain damage and nothing else in your brain because you didn't get anything from the university. But most importantly, starting your kid at an older age when your body and your brain is more developed is, is the most important thing in my opinion. So um, talking about the business side and that's all leading to today for you, um, you've got the broadcasting stuff that you're doing with Sebastian. Uh, what are the other things that you'd like to get out of your time at Columbia and also your obviously your interesting time in New York? Are there, are there other business opportunities that you're looking at? And, and also, Joe, I'd like to ask Marcus, what, what was the impetus to come to Columbia? Um, My class. He said that already. Yeah. So just kidding. So. Yeah. There we go. So that's that's done. Um, now, I mean, honestly, obviously living in New York, um, I lived in America. I had two homes. It was North Carolina where I went to school and then New York was my other home. New York was the first time I, I was, I feel like a grown up. I made money. I lived, you know, on my own, no dorm, no roommates. And I liked, I liked the area here a lot better from my personality. I think I fit better in New York than I would fit maybe some other parts in America. Um, so also my now fiance lives in New York. Uh, she was in New York. So that was kind of the first, no question, let's go to New York. And also, I knew I had infrastructure here. I knew some people, If I think if you want to start a new career, you have so much possibilities in New York. And of course, in the media field, but all in all kinds of fields. And, and media is something that interests me right now. It's fun. I think I have a, a certain talent for it because... And also what helps me tremendously, not a lot of people can do it. There are not a lot of German-speaking former football players. There's a niche. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they almost don't have any other options but to use me as their broadcaster. Um, so that helps. But I really, I think what, what helps me with Colombia or the way I got to Colombia is I looked, what do I want to do after? And I think I'm involved with sports, but I'm also not completely super crazy about sports that I follow sports that much. I'm not a huge fan of kind of any team. Of course, I follow the Giants because I played for them, but that's why it's my team. Then you can tell us why they're 0-5. 
this, we don't go into those. We things. do we do another we do another podcast on that <laughs> after one. the podcast because <laughs> we want to know. Yeah, I would trust me. I don't even know myself. Okay. But you look also okay. There's New York. Um, I did sports. I try to also, you know, go back to the the life I want to live for more of a business side, and how do I combine all that and. I saw Columbia University, you know, obviously Columbia, great school. Then they have a program. This is one of the best in the world with a sports management program. And I think, I mean, this is kind of perfect for me. And it also helps me as I'm in a career transition, like actually a few of my other fellow students, they're in a career transitioning mode. So I'm transitioning my career and it kind of helps me also buying time for the future because I can learn more, advise me about another year where I can really figure out what is it truly that I want to do. And that's what also helps me go into classes. I, I mean, I'm 31 years old now. You always think you have your mind pretty known up. This is what I want to do. But now I hear things in the class that I had no idea before that these are aspects about the sports world that I have, you know, they could benefit from me and I have huge interest in. And I think right now I'm still building my mind what I really like want to focus all my energy to, which I knew what I was going to do after college. My first job, I focused all my energy in being a professional football player. And that's why I think I had a career that I had four years was maybe some other person says not that long of a career. Well, it's longer than average and more than I ever even thought I would have. So for me, playing for four years was a very, a very long career. All right, man. What a great story! Uh, really, is amazing. And We're I like get Marcus's I, own podcast. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's ready Marcus to do one. Marcus Maurice will host right. an American football podcast going right. forward. So. Directed. It's 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 playing on this niche that he's built. There you uh, go. Really in like German, maybe maybe in German a little bit. Dude, too. In German. <laughs> yeah. And then, as I said before, we got to connect you with the Bayern Munich guys and hundred percent. Yeah. To get the crossover from. Uh, Global football to American football. And I still, I still have some Lederhosen in my, in my <laughs> closet, so maybe I have to whip them out. All right. Well, hopefully you're, a, you're a, a, a little bit of a German soccer fan, too. 100%. Uh, I mean, you, you kind of have to grow up in Germany. Yeah, that's yeah. what I figured. Um, so, Marcus, we like to wrap up with a couple of questions that are pretty standard for all of our guests. The first is, how do you stay smart? How are you keeping up with all the news about all the things that interest you, both professionally and educationally? Um, I, I'm honestly, we, we talked about it in, in Joe's class as well. I, Twitter is where you get your most immediate news, but not only reading the headlines. I mean, I'm like New York Times, Wall Street Journal, I'm subscribed to those newspapers. So I'm getting them digital on my phone, but I'm actually reading the articles, right. not only the headlines, which is important. Uh, I mean, you, you sometimes see that from from networks like HBO, the John Oliver show, you almost get like a different kind of aspect of news than you would get somewhere else mm -hmm. or the or the Daily Show and things right. like this. Very interesting sources of information and news, especially if you, that kind of, I feel like that kind of catches your attention and it makes you focus more and actually getting more in depth in some of the things that you're interested in and learning about more people and politics and, you know, and everything else that's going on in the world. So I think... Just to stay involved, to make sure you read and watch maybe not the, what do you call it, mainstream media, but right. not the, the entertaining media so much, but actually go back to the print and read a little bit of more of, of the newspaper. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite follows on Twitter other than Joe? Uh, I mean, I follow everybody. I mean, I follow all the, I would say, Washington Post, New York Times, Time Magazine, National Geographic. I have a big interest in 
Science actually too. Neil deGrasse Tyson, great guy. I love yeah, to follow him. Yeah. Um, and then obviously all the the sports people. You know, you kind of have to you have to follow follow all that. I mean, there's a, a huge gang of people I follow there. Yeah. But please be more welcome. Go on my go on my Twitter. Seat. Yeah. So what is the handle? Uh, the Marcus Kuhn. Marcus Kuhn was taken, so I had to act cool and add a the. Um, <laughs> or the real. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not that. Just the Marcus Kuhn, <laughs> and people are more than welcome. I also follow Donald Trump, but also I just want to know what's what's going on with him. Right. Not following is not an endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, what, even though you're just new to the field, but you've been around the entrepreneurship space with your family. What advice would you give people who want to get involved in business or get started? I think the most importantly is it is it comes to the doing. If you nobody I just read the sign walking over here. Nobody talks about like the great people who thought about a great idea. It's actually the people who do it and execute. If you have a great idea, be more active. Like start making your own research, writing maybe a business plan. Think what you want to do and then execute on that. And you don't have to think right away. Like, for example, me personally right now, I don't think about the big picture, the multi-million dollar year, but a sprinter or an athlete doesn't think about 100 meters. They try to run every step the most perfect way possible. So don't, I, always, I don't have a five-year or 10-year plan. I try to have this day-to-day I've planned out. Um, I have an exciting podcast to kind of start my day with. Then I have every step of the week and then months planned out. And I think if you take every single step the right way, only good things will come from it in the end. It's interesting, Joe. That's one of the points Dave Portnoy made mm-hmm. at yep. the NYBC sports event last yep. week, which was basically, don't tell me, show me. Um, and sometimes it's called the prove-it economy. Yeah. Because the tools to do these things, to take these steps, especially in the media business, are there. So don't talk about it. Start doing some stuff. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really good advice, and it's very consistent with what we've mm-hmm. talked about in this podcast over the last two years. And Marcus, you're certainly doing. So once again, we want to thank you for joining us. Yeah, today. outstanding conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much for having and me. And we, we wish you luck in your new endeavors in media and also in the program. I appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, this was another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito with our special, special guest, Marcus Kuhn, today. And Tom, another interesting conversation about Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's, it's always great. So appreciate it. Thanks again, Marcus. Thank you. And we'll see everybody soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and the host is Joe Favorito. Our production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.